0: Welcome to episode four of our new Pearson podcast, Speaking Your Language. I'm Fiona Price and I'm delighted to share my conversation with the formidable Joe Dale. Joe is an expert on language learning using the latest tools and technologies and is the man behind hashtag MFL Twitterati, which provides our language learning communities throughout the world with a vital networking platform. Joe also delivers high-level CPD webinars and podcasts to develop and promote language teaching and learning and I know you'll really enjoy hearing about his tips on the best ed tech to use in your classroom. Since we recorded this, Joe has offered CPD on the latest developments in AI and ChatGPT, so I would encourage you to check out his Twitter handle, at Joe Dale, for the latest information. So, leave those trainers off for a moment, the gym or that run can wait a little longer. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Joe Dale is an independent languages consultant from the UK who works with a range of organisations such as Network for Languages, the Association for Language Learning, the British Council, the BBC, Skype, Microsoft, and The Guardian. He was host of the TES MFL Forum for six years and is a regular international conference speaker and recognised expert on technology and language learning. He was a member of the Ministerial Steering Group on Languages for the UK Coalition Government and advised on the LinguaNet Worldwide Project for the Language Company. He has presented and co-hosted numerous CPD events, webinars and podcasts. The Guardian have called him an MFL guru and the man behind MFL Twitterati, which we will definitely talk about later. His Twitter handle is at Joe Dale. Welcome, Joe. Bienvenue.
1: Thank you ever so much for the opportunity of coming on the this Pearson podcast. I'm really excited to be here uh, with yourself, Fiona. It's a real uh, pleasure, and I really hope that I am reasonably coherent in my answers to your questions.
0: Well, I think that you are the expert, Joe. You have done so many podcasts yourself, so I'm definitely the newbie in this situation. <laughs> so we'll start just thinking about languages generally. Who or what inspired your love of languages?
1: Okay, so when I was at school, I had a Spanish teacher who I really got on with, I really liked, and he was really one of the people who inspired me to get into languages. It was quite interesting at the time because I went to um, a a grammar school. So we started the second language. I started with French in the equivalent of year uh, seven. In fact, I think we we dabbled a little bit in year six at primary school, but um, we had to make a choice for our year nine options. And I actually didn't... um, decide to do Spanish. I wanted to do technical drawing instead, but they didn't let me do that because my French scores were too good. So they insisted that I did Spanish and then I ended up doing it for A-level as well. But uh, yeah, Mr. Langton, who uh, was my Spanish teacher, was a real inspiration. He was a very funny person. He was very authentic. You you naturally felt as if you were getting on with him well. And um, I really enjoyed doing A-level as well. And uh, yeah, he was one of the main influences I think teaching wise and I suppose I sort of modeled a little bit of his practice on my my own practice when I became a teacher later as well.
0: That's the ideal scenario isn't it I had a similar experience with my German teacher she was so amazing and took us on exchanges and did German baking with us and you just need you need that seed to be sown don't you and how about your best memory of visiting or living in another country?
1: Well, I was lucky enough to do a degree in French linguistics. And as part of that, I was able to have a year in Montpellier at a as a student. I could have been an assistant somewhere else in a more remote part of France, but I decided to go for the opportunity of being a student at the um, Université de Paul Valéry in Montpellier and um, had a, an amazing time, spoke lots of French, normally in cafes. I sort of Maybe I skipped one or two of the lectures because I thought if I'm in a room with, let's say, 60 people uh, listening to a lecturer speaking in French, is that going to be as useful for me compared to sitting in the cafe and speaking with, let's say, four people who are French native speakers? And so I decided to do a lot of the uh, a lot of the latter. These were quite a few years ago now, and I was much younger and was able to really enjoy myself as part of that year. It was It was really, really fantastic. And then after my degree, directly after my degree, I was also able to go to French-speaking Canada. I lived in Quebec for two years as part of the exchange that the British Council had helped to set up, which sent about 30 to 35 graduates from the UK and Ireland to go to Quebec. And then likewise, the same number came from Quebec to uh, to work in British and Irish schools as well. And I was able to meet lots of really interesting people from those, um, those different places. And I had an amazing time. And the first year that I was there, I was in a place called Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu near uh, Montreal, about 30 minutes from Montreal. And I was lucky enough to live with uh, three Quebecers, and it meant that I was able to pick up the uh, the local language, let's say, and certainly the accent, but the local language is called Joal, which has a lot of um, local expressions. For example, all the swear words are all religious terms. I had no idea why they were saying all these different religious terms, etc., but I picked it up pretty quickly. So I felt very fortunate to be able to share my um, accommodation with uh, three Quebecers. And then in the second year, I was in a completely different place. I was in a place called Avra Saint-Pierre, which is on the north shore of the St. Lawrence, which is about 14 hours drive from Montreal. I was there on my own in a a flat, and I was working in a primary school, which was really fantastic. I had a great experience. But what I found interesting was I would normally finish school at around, let's say, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, And for most weekends, I wouldn't see anybody at all till the Monday morning. So I certainly got used to writing lots and lots of letters. This was in the mid-90s, so before email, etc. And I remember getting a huge thrill from receiving letters from my dad, for example, in my pigeonhole at school. So uh, fantastic experience, but uh, quite a lonely experience, certainly the weekends as well. But I was able to find time to do lots of interesting things. But yeah, those are my two main experiences of uh, living in a in a foreign country and i would really recommend anyone listening to this if you haven't done this already to try it out even with the limitations now that we have as a result of brexit
0: i couldn't agree more how amazing that you've experienced french in france and then french in canada because canada is such a beautiful country i haven't been to the french speaking parts but that's incredible to be able to compare the two. So obviously travel, languages have offered you, as you've said, incredible opportunities to experience other cultures. Are there any other things that you think you've gained through through learning a language apart from studying and, and traveling?
1: Well, wow. I mean, I think from a cognitive point of view, personally, I love language. I love vocabulary. I love working out the patterns of language learning. As an A-level, I did maths as well. And I think there's a lot of parallels between, you know, the patterns that you recognize in maths as with languages. So I think that was really beneficial. Yeah, we talked about the traveling as well. I think the, the cultural side of things as well, enjoying listening to Francophone music, for example. I can remember when I was back doing my degree in my final year of meeting people who had come from France as well and being able to speak with them and you know, loving the fact they were saying, wow, your French is really good and this sort of thing. You know, I mean, all those different aspects of building confidence speaking the target language. I think that is a really lovely thing to be able to do. I can remember when I was in Quebec as well, and I would go to the cinema and watching films in uh, Ville, uh, version originale. so in other words, you wouldn't have the subtitles and what have you, but I would be able to cope well with understanding the French was being spoken. Lots of different ways in which I think language learning has impacted on my... I mean, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now without, for example, the MFL Twitterati being able to be connected with... So many different um, teachers, not only from this country, but from around the world. And all those opportunities that have happened as a result, being able to go to places like the States and Australia and um, the Middle East and all over Europe and South America and be able to connect with those people and meet people face to face as well. And all of that has really come through my love of languages and my willingness to connect with language teachers here, there and everywhere. So those are a few obvious takeaways, but um, it's really It's very difficult, I think, to quantify how languages can give you amazing opportunities, which is why I'd encourage everybody to uh, learn a foreign language.
0: So quite literally, languages have opened all these doors for you and talking of kind of community and the opportunity to meet other people and collaborate, you obviously set up MFL Twitterati, which is an invaluable forum for networking, sharing resources, support for language teachers. Can you just tell me a bit about how this came about and how it's evolved and perhaps for teachers who are maybe new to the MFL teaching profession, you know, how do they become involved if they haven't already?
1: Yeah, sure. No problem. So essentially the reason that the the MFL Twitter RT community started was because in 2006 to 2008, I was a lead practitioner for the Specialist Schools and Academies Trust. And as part of that, I was asked to create a number of different events, one event per year to encourage language learning opportunities for the local community, I decided to create a mini sort of conference as it were and invite people to speak from around the UK as well as encourage attendees to come from here, there and everywhere. And um, we found that in sort of 2007, 2008 sort of time when Twitter was just starting, a friend of mine, Drew Buddy, who's known as Digital Maverick on Twitter, He was really, really into Twitter at the time and was encouraging people to tweet at the event that he was speaking at uh, on the Isle of Wight, uh, the Isle of Wight Conference, I used to call it. You can still find the hashtag now, actually, if you search, because all the tweets have been archived, which is amazing. And um, at the time, you can only do 140 characters. So the hashtag was IOWConference08, which is quite a big chunk out of the 140 characters. But I can remember he was encouraging everyone to tweet, and also another friend, John Johnson, who is a primary school teacher in Scotland. He very kindly coded a web page whereby we could um, show all the tweets appearing live. So in the hall, we had a couple of television sets that would show you know, daily announcements and this sort of thing, and we had that hooked up to the Twitter stream. And this felt, at the time, really, really revolutionary because obviously nowadays, uh, the idea of having a back channel whereby you're following what's happening on Twitter at a different event, at the time, it felt really revolutionary in the sense that we could be in different sessions, but follow what was happening in other sessions. And that was really the beginning of the MFL Twitterati community. And then we started using the hashtag MFL Twitterati in other podcasts and other places. I've always said that this is the actual term MFL Twitterati came from a tweet from a Scottish language teacher from Tobin Maury, Lynn Horn, who I remember a friend of mine, Chris Fuller was organizing like a Teach Meet event down in the Southwest of England. And I'm sure I remember anyway that she tweeted something along the lines of, oh, are the MFL space Twitterati, Twitterati or the ATI on the end of a word making a type of community? Are they all going down to Devon to go to the teach meets? And I thought, oh, I really like that MFL Twitterati hashtag or name. So I used the hashtag from then. And then as a result of that hashtag, people from not only the UK and Ireland, but further afield have been able to connect And join conversations using that hashtag. So even now, if you were to, let's say, spend 10 minutes every day while having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, what have you, and search for the the hashtag plus maybe a keyword, for example, something like speaking or listening or the name of a tool, for example, then every time you do that, I would guarantee that you'll find a gem of an idea. And not only will you be inspired by classroom practice from other teachers who have been generously sharing these ideas, you can also connect with those people because obviously the the person who's tweeted that idea, their username will be there. And as a result of that, you can connect with that person and ask them more questions. So that's what I would say to start off with. So for anyone listening to this who have no idea what the MFL Twitter RT community is all about, I would really encourage you to learn and lurk, as one says. In other words, if you follow me or search for the MFL Twitter RT hashtag, get an idea of the sorts of the etiquette of what people are, are doing on Twitter, particularly in the MFL community see how people are responding, see the, the type of uh, how polite people are being in general and how people are dealing with each other, then that would be a fantastic starting point. The idea of learning and lurking is that you just, you work out, you know, the right etiquette. Maybe you do the the 10-minute challenge I talked about. You have the the hashtag plus a keyword. You spend a wee while doing that. And then once you're ready to join the conversation, as one says, you can then reply to some tweets and just get started. And another idea I'd recommend as well is... um. I um, organize a list. You can have up to 5,000 members on a list. And I have one which is called MFL Twitterers, which has 5,000 members because that's the maximum you can have. If you go to my list, which is available on my profile, you can subscribe to that list. There's 2,200, 2,300 subscribers at the moment. And if I add you onto that list, it means that you're getting an immediate audience. So normally I get, let's say, PGC providers who will ask their trainees to follow me in this sort of thing and I can add them onto the list. And then every day more or less I'm taking someone off the list and adding someone onto the list. The reason I would take someone off the list would be let's say if they haven't tweeted for say a year or so and that sort of thing. So it's it's this idea of nurturing your professional learning network a little bit like pruning a plant, pruning your PLN. So you have to let's say get rid of or remove some people who haven't tweeted for a long time and then put on a new growth as it were. And that's how the community I think is so dynamic and And amazing. And I know, hand on heart, it's changed lots of people's lives because of the fact you can connect with like minded people from this country as well as further afield. And the hashtag is used by teachers literally from all over the world. So it's probably one of the proudest things I've done professionally to date.
0: It's an incredible achievement, honestly, to create a community like that. And I think support is just so essential. You know, teaching languages is absolutely wonderful, amazing. But you can feel isolated, even with colleagues around you. And the fact that you've got all that community there and the whole purpose of a language is about having that global outlook. So I think having ideas that come from abroad, that come from other places is just completely amazing. And talking of ed tech, because you were also the master of practical ed tech tools for the language classroom, as well as this idea of getting people to collaborate Could you pick a couple of your favourites to share with us today?
1: Okay, well, that's a a really hard question because there's so many directions I could go in. So let's say last night I was doing a webinar with Esmeralda Salgado, who's amazing. Those people that don't know Esmeralda, she's Botone Salgado on Twitter, fantastic person to follow. And we were looking at different reading ideas. And some of the ideas that I shared in that I think would be very useful for a wider audience, if you haven't heard of these. So one example is called Texting Story Maker, which is a web-based tool which allows you to create your own dialogues. You can add in your own avatar images. You can use your own pictures, or I recommended a free tool for making your own avatars as well, which is quite fun. And then you can add your avatars. You can then put in the different lines of the dialogue and you can then export that either as a video clip Or as an animated GIF. So I demonstrated how to do that. That's a a really nice idea, I think, for modelling dialogues for, say, reading comprehension, or of course the students can then use that to make their own dialogues and then could download the results as an outcome and then could then post that video or that animated GIF into another tool such as Google Slides or into PowerPoint or those sorts of things. So I think that's a really nice, beautiful looking tool that produces a really nice outcome, which makes the work of the students look very professional and a great opportunity, I think, for practicing reading, writing or speaking, because of course you could take that video clip and you could put it into um, another tool like iMovie or some sort of video editing software, record a voiceover, so you're practicing speaking as well, or use it for a comprehension activity. So that was one idea. Another idea around reading is a Chrome extension called Use Immersive Reader on Websites. Now, Immersive Reader, if people don't know, is a Microsoft tool that features in lots of well-known products such as Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, Class Notebook. It also appears in uh, things like Wakelet and Flip, formerly known as Flipgrid. And what it allows you to do, it allows you to see the text in whichever language it may be and it recognises the language automatically, which is a really nice feature. And it will then read the text back to you, modeling the pronunciation. And I must say the the model pronunciation is very good compared to other similar tools. There's also one called Natural Reader, which has the advantage of the fact it does work on all devices. So there's the the online reader version, there's the Chrome extension, and there's also an iOS and an Android app, which means it does work on all devices. But in my opinion, it sounds a bit more robotic compared to the Immersive Reader option. So. In, let's say, Microsoft Word, if you go to the review menu, you'll see a little icon that looks like an open book with a loudspeaker icon in it. And if you click on that, it will allow you to have the text read back to you. But this Use Immersive Reader on Websites Chrome extension is an unofficial extension which works in exactly the same way. So what you can do, for example, is you can change the voice to male or female. You can choose the speed. So it's good for differentiation. So if you want the speed to be slower, you can do that. And it also has some really lovely options top right of the screen for example you can do line focus so it means that you can have like a black section at the top and a black section at the bottom so you're just focusing on one individual line or what we used to do in the old days of using a ruler and moving the ruler down the page to help the students focus particularly dyslexic readers who might find looking at the whole text that it's sort of swimming on the page as it were so that's really interesting you've also got the picture dictionary option as well which means you can click on an individual word particularly nouns And there may be a picture which can then help to reinforce the meaning. You've also got the option to be able to translate word by word if you wanted to. So you could click on a word, maybe if it was a cognate, and it will give you the the English pronunciation and then the French pronunciation if that's what you've chosen. And there may be the image option to reinforce that as well. You've also got the option to change the background color as well. If you wanted to have, let's say, a blue background or a green background or a yellow background, which again, could be useful for dyslexic readers to help them to access the content. Those are a few ideas and I think it's wonderful and I'm trying to show more and more people that particular tool. And then the last thing that I showed was in PowerPoint, you have to have the latest version of PowerPoint. You can click on the slideshow menu and one of the options is always use subtitles. So you click on that and you can choose the spoken language as it says and then the subtitle language. So for example, you could choose the spoken language could be French. And then the subtitled language could be french as well or it could be english whatever you want to choose and then when you run the powerpoint in slideshow mode you get a little floating toolbar bottom left and the one that you want is the one in the middle which is like a rectangle with a a diagonal line through it you click on that and as long as you've given permission for powerpoint to access your microphone it will then allow you to see the subtitles appearing on the screen at the bottom or the top of the of the slide Now, I've been going to Dublin recently working with a group of European teachers from literally all over Europe, places like Bulgaria and Hungary, as well as Spain and Italy and and, and France and so on and so forth. And they got really excited about the idea that they're having some Ukrainian students coming into their class. And what they could do, for example, is they could be speaking in German. The spoken language could be German in their PowerPoint, and it could be translating in real time into Ukrainian. So it's just giving that access to those students who are Ukrainian students, and maybe the teacher doesn't speak any Ukrainian, you're giving them access to being able to understand what is happening in the PowerPoint. Now, those subtitles are not recorded, but if you wanted to use a third-party tool such as Loom or Screencastify, or if you wanted to spend a bit of money, a tool like Camtasia, which is amazing, you could then record the screen and the subtitles would be recorded onto the screen as well. So, those were a few ideas. I could go on and on and on about each individual skill, but those were a few ideas to help with reading.
0: I loved as well the fact that some of these tools, teachers may use PowerPoints all the time, but I had no idea that you could do that, for example. you know, And I think this is the thing that sometimes you just need someone to point you in the right direction. And I, I also think that ensuring our classrooms work for all learners. So you've kind of covered some of those accessibility tips there really. So for dyslexic learners, for Ukrainian students who will be in many schools, I'm sure. So that's fantastic. Thank you for that. And as well as thinking about accessibility and ed tech tools, I know that speaking practice can sometimes be tricky for teachers, particularly if you've got big classes of key stage three, and it can be hard sometimes to effectively assess progress in a relatively pain-free way. Do you have any tips of how teachers can make this a bit easier and a bit less time consuming, and yet still give the students lots of opportunities for practice and the teacher opportunities to get some data if they wanted it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the tools which proved to be particularly popular at the start of the pandemic when speaking was a real difficulty because obviously the teacher wasn't face-to-face with the group of students as as you'd find in a normal situation, but they wanted to practice speaking. They used a tool called Flipgrid, which is now called Flip. That's been around for a number of years and there have been enthusiastic users of Flip for quite a long time now, but certainly as a result of the pandemic, it was a way of being able to Record regular examples of the speaking of the students, and then give feedback—be it a written feedback, or video feedback, or audio-only feedback. So, if people don't know what Flip is, again, it's a Microsoft tool. It's a very safe tool to use. There's different ways of creating different grids within the tool. You start off by creating different groups, and a group is like a class. You can create the groups via an email address, which is what I would would recommend. So. If you're working in a school which is using a Microsoft email address as the protocol or Google, then you just use that official domain to create the the different accounts for the students. You can also use a username option, which might work best at primary age children who don't have access to an email address. You can also have Google Classroom integrated as well. So there's actually a dedicated Google Classroom integration. So if you're using that, then that makes it even easier. Once you've created your groups, within your groups you can create topics, so a topic is like a lesson, and then for each topic you get an example description that you then write and a title, and the idea is that as the teacher you then record a video, uh, or if you prefer you can record just um, a blank screen with a microphone, you don't have to record yourself, you don't want to appear on video, Uh, you can just do that instead. And you, let's say, ask a question in the target language. The students who've been added to the topic will then see that video and then can then respond accordingly. So you can set up moderation so that only the teacher gets to see each video that the students have made. Or if you prefer, you can have the students be able to see each other's videos within that topic. So it's still a private topic, but some teachers like the way in which the students can give feedback to each other as well as the teacher giving either Public feedback, in the sense that anybody in the group can see that, or private feedback, which means that a student would be notified that feedback has been left, and that's another way of doing that. And there's so many creative things you can do with with Flip as well. Just in addition to just the basic recording, you've also got access to a sticky note, which is really great for writing down notes to remind you of what it is that you want to say, like an ed memoir. You've got the possibility of using the board option, which means you can have a split screen, so you can have your webcam on one side of the screen and then a board which you can write on, or you can add text, or you can add an image as a way of talking about a particular prompt. I know Jane Bassnett, who is a um, a Microsoft Internet expert and works in a Microsoft showcase school. She's on the head of languages as well at uh, Downhouse School. She's used this technique for practicing for the GCSE photo card very successfully. And what's nice about Flip as well is it does work on all devices. So it means that the students can record themselves. Whenever they get a moment, they can use a laptop, a Chromebook, a Mac, their phone, a tablet, whatever device that they have. As long as it has a camera and a microphone and an internet connection, you can uh, you can do that. You can record unlimited numbers of videos as well, and you can record up to 10 minutes per video. So that's a really nice idea as well. You could be a bit more creative as well if you want to. I, I always show people how to do some animations. So you could, for example, use a website like photosforclass.com, Which gives you access to royalty-free images which you can then say download i I always give the example of you do a search for a word like beach so you have like a nice beach scene appearing on the screen and then you could use let's say a bitmoji character as a chrome extension or you could use a website like flaticon.com to find an image of a boat let's say and then literally move it on the screen while you're recording while recording a voiceover so you could use that for let's say describing your ideal holiday or you could do use that for, say, describing your local area, for example. So because the, the, the tool is very easy to use, it means that the technology becomes invisible and you can just focus then on the learning, which is what we want our learners to be doing, don't we? We want them to be able to just practice their speaking, but in a fun, interactive, relevant, engaging way. So for speaking, I think that Flip is amazing and it's fantastic that it is a completely free tool and it is very safe to use, but clearly you'd have to be mindful of how to moderate the content if that's what you wanted to do and mindful how you give the students access so i would suggest that using an email option is the way to go but always talk to the person at your school in charge of e-safety just to check that it's okay if you go to the the flip website you can get the official documentation talking about how they deal with um, student data which i've passed on to various uh, SOTs over the years and officially, you need to get parental permission as well. So there's a document, a PDF you can download from the FLIP website, which you can then share with parents. Uh, if you don't have, let's say, a blanket form, which is what we used to do at my old school, so you would know, let's say, those students who are being looked after who couldn't record videos, even though those videos are private. And that's fair enough. And, and then uh, then you're good to go, really. So, yeah, FLIP, I think, is a great way of practicing speaking to get started. That's the one I would really recommend for sure.
0: Thank you so much for talking it through in so much detail. And I think what I kept thinking as you were talking was, oh, engagement, motivation, and the fact that students as well, even as a teacher, And my advice would also be if you're not as amazingly technically proficient as Joe, that the students will keep you right. Half the time I've tried to do things with students where they're the ones coming and showing you. you. Say, oh, have you not heard of, look it. Come on, Miss, you can do this. And I would always say that asking the students is the way forward because they want to do these things. And what I love about your ideas, the things that you've mentioned to do with reading and speaking, is the student ownership. I think that's so critical in an MFL classroom. They want to add animations. They want to make videos. They're doing that in their lives all the time. And if we can make what they do in their everyday lives become part of that MFL classroom, you know, in terms of motivation, but really, as you say, The technology is just giving you the tools to do what you want to do, which is practice speaking. And it might sound laborious, but if you do it properly, as you're saying, where you're getting the right permissions, once it's set up, it's set up. If you've done that from the beginning, it's like all these tools, they become embedded as part of your practice. And the students, as I say, they'll always keep you right. I like the fact it can be done on any device because I found in the pandemic, if they couldn't do it on a mobile, it didn't work for all students. It wasn't as accessible. But what you're saying is it can be done on any device. So... That's a win. That's a win for me. I'm just going to think back to you, Joe, and your teaching journey. I've only got a couple of questions left. What was the best piece of advice you were given as a newly qualified teacher?
1: Wow, that's a quite long time ago now. I would I would say the best piece of advice that I was given was work on your relationships with the students. So if you've got a good relationship with the students, if you have created the right working environment in the class then that is the most important thing. That is the foundation of teaching, as opposed to, let's say, you know diving straight in with lots of techie ideas, which is not what I did. I got into technology a few years uh, later when I was actually working at um, uh, the middle school where I, um, I taught for 10 years. That was when I really got an interest in technology. Prior to that, I could, um, believe it or not, just about word process, but I was able to um, get this uh, computer for teachers scheme. I was able to um, get some money from the government. This shows how long ago it was and get, you know, like a discount on a, my own PC. And it was really then, I suppose through motivation, through ownership, going back to what you were just saying, once I had my own machine, my own internet connection, admittedly it would dial up at the time. I was a, then able to... uh improved my understanding of what it is I wanted to do and then I learned lots of different um, ideas around using PowerPoint for example and then getting into blogging and podcasting so I remember at the time the bit of advice that I remember most strongly was it's all about relationships creating good relationships with the students making sure that the content you cover with them is meaningful and relevant to their lives and as a result of that then that's a really good starting point I think and then after that the whole idea around um Classroom management, which is also, in my opinion, much, much more important than anything you're doing from the teaching point of view. Sorting out the classroom management so the students feel safe and loved and and what have you. And then once you've got that sorted, then making sure that all the content that you're doing is motivating, is interesting for their individual needs. So getting to know them, getting to know what football clubs they like, getting to know what music that they're into – and if you are doing that, then and I'm not, when I am saying that, I am not saying that you should, you know, be their friend. I don't think that at all. But I think that it's that fine line between getting to know them, but also making sure that you are strict enough in order to let the the learning happen in, in a safe and moderated environment. So, to me, relationships are the be all and end all, and if you get that right, then that's when the magic can happen.
0: I totally agree. It's that it is the magic, isn't it? When you've really got that special relationship with your class. And like you say, you're not there to be their friend, but I think I always wanted my students to feel I had their back. And it's, this, it's a kind of quite a parental role, even if you're not a parent, it doesn't really matter if you're a young teacher, but you're still providing that influence on them where they can have fun with you, but only up to a certain point. And when push comes to shove, you want them to do well and they may fight back, but you know, it it is essential. And my favorite part of my teaching journey was always meeting students I taught. And it didn't matter if they were the ones who'd behaved badly or the ones who'd gone on to do it at university. It's that joy of seeing a student develop. And like you say, it's all about relationships, isn't it? That's the inherent joy of teaching. Those like you say, when the magic happens in your classroom and for all the times when it's behavior management and (gasps) the technology doesn't work, but when it all comes together, it is. It's a very special alchemy. And just to finish off, I don't know if you have any time really, Joe, with your very busy schedule to do this, but if you could learn any other language in the future, which one would it be?
1: Well, what I'd love to do is I would love to brush up my Spanish. I learned Spanish for six years at school, as I mentioned, but I feel it's sort of fallen by the wayside a little bit. Because of the fact, you know, there have been other priorities. I'm, I'm a dad now. I've been a dad for eight years. I'm, you know, managing lots of things. I'm spinning lots of plates at the same time. But if I had a bit more time, I would love to learn more Spanish. If we're talking about a language from scratch, then German, I think, would be a great one to learn. I think um, there are lots of German teachers who are incredibly passionate about keeping German in uh, in schools in the UK, particularly state schools. And um, I love that sort of that feeling of solidarity and that passion that people are, are sharing. So if I could join that that community of German teachers, I would love to do so. I have spoken at various um, German uh, conferences. I did the Goethe Institute German Day a couple of years ago. And I also keynoted the Irish uh, German Association as well in 2019, just before the, the pandemic started in November 2019. And uh, lots of amazing people. But I think that. Finding the time to learn a language can be challenging, but for those teachers who, let's say, learn a bit of language on Duolingo, for example, that's a lot of fun. I love seeing tweets from people saying the funny experiences that have come up in different languages. Uh, Dominic McGladdery, for example, has been learning Danish recently and loves to post the silly things that that are said on Duolingo. So people have the time, then obviously I would encourage them to learn a language. As I'm sure you know, in parents' evenings, etc., it's always the parents saying, oh, I wish I learned a language at school. Well, this is the opportunity now to use a tool such as Duolingo in order to become more independent in your language learning. And there's there's no stopping people, I think, nowadays in relation to using these sorts of tools apart from time, because there's so many resources out there. Whereas uh, when I was learning a language originally, then getting access to, let's say, target language content. Was much much trickier. Whereas now, with the internet, you've got everything at your fingertips, and there's no stopping people. It's just a question of time, I think. So we're living in very fortunate times in lots of ways in relation to language learning opportunities and being able to connect with like-minded people literally all over the world via social media, via the MFL Twitter RT hashtag, via various Facebook groups as well. It's an exciting time. It's a it's a scary time, but it's an exciting time to be alive. And um, just as a final point as well, we haven't talked about the TILT webinars, which I helped to organise with the Association for Language Learning back in March 2020. If people go to my YouTube channel, which is available at Joe Dale 100 then you will find over 140 recordings, which feature teachers literally from all over the world sharing ideas around remote teaching practice and hybrid teaching practice and face-to-face practice using technology. And you have some of the best teachers in the world, I think, who are language teachers who are sharing their expertise completely for free. So that would be another great place to go if you want to find out more about the sorts of things I've been involved in, as well as the the webinars that are featured, these amazing teachers. So that's a, a nice way to wrap up, I suppose.
0: Thank you so much for those tips. And I definitely recommend for people to follow you on Twitter, to look up the the tilt webinars and obviously best of luck with the language show I'm sure there'll be lots of teachers that will be watching your recordings and get more detail on some of because obviously today has been a snapshot of what you do and I'm hoping people well I'm sure they will be inspired to go and, and find out more and get more detail on all these wonderful things and obviously I'm very biased but I am a Spanish and German specialist so I completely support you in in trying to promote German. Spanish obviously is amazing and very widely spread. And I need to join you in in brushing up my language because my French is definitely very much my weakest language. So you've inspired me. I'm going to get on, get on those podcasts, get on, get on Netflix and watch some French movies and get my language going. Thank you so much for your time, Joe. I'm sure you've provided lots of inspiration for people listening, teachers at all stages in their profession, whether they've been teaching a really long time, like both of us, or are starting on their journey. And I wish you luck with all your future plans for 2023.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Fiona, for the opportunity. I'm really excited about the fact that Pearson are doing this podcast. I think it will be amazing to hear a whole variety of voices from all around the world talking about their love of languages and their own particular context. I think uh, podcasting, as you know, is a wonderful thing. It's all about authentic voices. It's all about people sharing their ideas and, and educational ones or ones particularly about language learning I absolutely love. So well done for taking the initiative suggesting to do this podcast because I'm sure it'll go down really well with the language teaching community here, there and everywhere.
0: Brilliant. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Joe. I'm sure that Joe has really inspired you by telling us about his own language learning journey and his advice on enhancing your classroom practice with the best edtech. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Speaking Your Language soon. À bientôt!